0: Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant.
1: It's conversational AI designed to work for any
0: industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant.
1: This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schaap. There are a lot of great players and there are a lot of great athletes in the annals of sport and American sport in particular, but there are only a few you would really call essential, who means something beyond the game, who transcends sports. One of those figures undoubtedly is Willie Mays. He's now 89 years old. His career came to an end almost a half century ago, but he still looms so large in our collective consciousness. Willie Mays is the co-author of a book that has just been released, co-authored with John Shea, the longtime baseball writer from the Bay Area. The book is titled 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show, John Shea. John, thank you for being with us.
0: Jeremy, my pleasure. Thank you.
1: I was trying to, um, articulate perhaps inelegantly in that introduction, why Willie Mays is, um, is almost, um, Someone who has the power of myth in our society, that, that it, there's still um, this power to the aura of Willie Mays. How, how would you put your finger on it? No, you're right. A
0: iconic figure, a cultural icon, American hero, and not just a baseball hero or a sports hero, but a living legend who's with us today and uh, thankfully opened his heart and memory banks and great knack for storytelling to to me, um, and we were able to put this book together about not just the man but the career and the exemplary life you know a guy who inspired millions, but also details who inspired him and that is what we tried to capture in the book
1: The story of Willie Mays, uh, who was born in one thousand nine hundred and thirty one who uh, came up to the major leagues in one thousand nine hundred and fifty one uh, did all those spectacular things on a ball field. Um, I think he was on the, in the on deck circle, uh, in his first year when Bobby Thompson hit the shot heard around the world. Of course, the Vic Wertz catch and the 54 sweep of the Indians, but his is one of those lives that tells us so much about America in the 20th century as well. How do those stories track each other? America and Willie Mays. You're right. This is.
0: Uh, a teenager who played with the Birmingham Black Barons in the Negro Leagues and got signed by the Giants right after his graduation and got assigned to an all-white league, the Trenton Giants, playing in the Class B Interstate League, not only the only African-American on the team, but the entire league. This is 1950, three years after Jackie broke the color barrier. And Willie is going into some of these towns hearing the same thing Jackie was hearing and couldn't stay with his teammates, couldn't eat with his teammates in a lot of the towns, and told me in a moment that I just will never forget, he said, I wondered if it was all worth it. And my God, it gave me chills because I, w- w- what? Not, I mean, no Willie Mays in baseball? He could have gone back to Birmingham and worked in the mines like his father did? And luckily, fortunately for everybody in the, on the planet, basically, he persevered and overcame and wouldn't let the biggest win and was rookie of the year in 51, and MVP in 54, and played 22 seasons and, you know, arguably the best all-around player in the history of the game. And like we said, lived a life that really wasn't like Mickey Mammal, who went out at night and caroused and drank heavily and had a shortened career because of it, and Willie took a different path through
1: life. We're speaking with John Shea about the new book. He is co-authored with Willie Mays, 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. And this is a book about um, the people who influenced him, as you said, the people that he has influenced as well. Um, what, what did, you know, especially in the Northeast where I'm from, although I come from a family of, of Brooklynites and Dodgers fans, I like to think that if I had been alive at the time, I would have been a New York Giants fan because I grew up in Manhattan. Uh, and, of course, they played at the Polo Grounds. Uh, and, and I'm a contrarian anyway. But um, his relationship with Leo DeRocher, what did that mean to his development as a player and as a man?
0: It meant everything. If he had a different manager, Willie got might have gotten lost. I mean, he's a kid. He's 20. I mean, Jackie broke in in his late 20s. Willie just turned 20 in May of 1951 when he got called up. So, yeah, he was expecting to play the entire season in uh, Minneapolis, where he was hitting 4.77 through late May. And the fans were loving it. It was an integrated team, an integrated league. It was so much different than the year before. But Leo calls him up and said, we need you because we're scuffling. They were 17 and 19 when Willie got called up, and Willie just assumed would stay there. but you know, obviously Willie went through the struggles. He was one for 12, uh, or 0 for 12, went for 25. The only hit off Warren Spahn at the polo grounds over the roof and left. <laughs> and he was at his locker crying and said, Leo, this is too fast for me, man. And he's telling me this. It's, like, it's unbelievable. And Leo said, listen, man, you're not here to hit. You're here to do everything you're doing in the outfield to help our pitchers, help our team win. And from there, he started going off as one rookie of the year. and just a a guy you just couldn't take your eyes off of, unlike, say, Bonds, Barry Bonds and these guys. You couldn't take your eye off him at the plate, but Willie, you couldn't take your eye off him in the field with the basket catches, and he told me, I used to make the hard plays look easy and the easy plays look hard. But Leo was instrumental, as was Monty Irvin, his first roommate with the Giants, uh, the Negro League legend who's in the Hall of Fame, played many years with the Giants as well, and could have been Jackie before Jackie. He was. Uh, deemed by many in the Negro Leagues to break the color barrier. But he went into the military and came back and had some issues, and and, uh, Branch Rickey went with Jackie, and all was well with the world. But, yeah, Leo was somebody that he uh, definitely missed when Leo went away because uh, while the Dodgers had Walter Austin throughout his whole career, uh, the Giants trotted out different managers after different managers, and no one measured up to Leo.
1: We're speaking with John Shea again about his new book, 24, co-written with Willie Mays. And of course, over the course of his career, the next couple of decades after coming up in 51, Willie Mays would fashion one of the greatest careers in baseball. 660 home runs, more, almost 3,300 hits, um, more than 300 stolen bases, a couple of MVP awards, right? Um, 250 home run seasons all of the spectacular things that he did, but as as we've said, he was he was more than that. There are great players whose numbers are not that much different. You know, um you could throw out a Jimmy Fox or something like that. But Willie Mays is one of those guys and there are only a few and it's like Babe Ruth, Satchel Page, Willie Mays, I guess you could say Yogi Berra, Mantle and DiMaggio, um, who who are icons, and maybe that word, you know, that, that, that word fits in this case. Why does he represent to so many people the joy of baseball?
0: Well, that's exactly it the joy of baseball. You described it to a T. Willie Mays enjoyed what he did. He brought that youthful exuberance to the field. And you see guys celebrating today, and they hit a home run, and, you know, they, they celebrate as they do. But back then, it was like he was celebrating during the play. I mean, he had the smile and the basket catch and the cap flying off intentionally just to entertain guys in the crowd so that those people could come back the next day. And Willie has a record that will never be broken. 13 straight years, 150-plus games played. And that streak went back to the 154-game season and into the 60s. So he was in the lineup every day. He didn't want to come out. And you talk about the modern analytics. You know, I spoke with Bill James and Tom Tango and Rob Nyer, you know, all all these cutting-edge analytic folks, the historians, the writers, all these great minds. And they went back to his career. And you're right, Willie won two MVPs. But through the lens of today's analytics and advanced data, he could have won, in my mind, listening to all this information, between 8 and 11 MVPs because he was up there every single season. We talk about a 10-war season being a fabulous season. Well, it's been accomplished like nine times since 2000 by hitters. Bonds did it three times. Trout did it three times. Well, Mays averaged a 10-war season over seven-year stretch. So that's how good he was consistently. Bill James said, said in the back of the book, he says Willie Mays's best season is every year. Just pick one. They're all great.
1: When I, I – I, as I said, I live in the New York area, and when I drive um, through Riverdale in the Bronx, and you pass a certain building in the Bronx where it seems everybody knows Willie Mays, I think he might still have an apartment 50-plus uh, years after the Giants left New York. I, I always think of Willie Mays um, – I guess that's just an example. I'm just trying to say that like, he's just always there. We're always thinking about him, even though it's been like a half century since he last played. I haven't seen him in person. I think I only did maybe that one time, the first interleague game in 1997, I think it was, in Texas. He was the National League captain. Nolan Ryan was the American League captain. It was um, at the ballpark in Arlington. And he was charming. And he was funny. And he he just did a great press conference. Um but sometimes he had a reputation for being difficult, and and you know, uh, you you've been around him for a long time. How did how does he respond to the adulation, uh, which which is still there when people bring up the name Willie Mays?
0: Well, everything you see in the Last Dance by Michael Jordan, that that was pretty much Willie in the fifties and sixties. He couldn't really go out; he'd be mobbed. Sometimes his teammates would smuggle him away to back room at a restaurant. And he was hounded more than anybody. The Giants had the best road attendance in the National League in the 60s. They didn't draw great a candlestick like they did at Dodger Stadium. But eight out of the 10 years in the 60s, the Giants led the league in road attendance. And as Felipe Alou told me, you know, they had Cepeda, they had McCovey, they had Marshall, and all these great players, Gaylord Perry. But Felipe said every time we went into a, a town, you'd see the paper, Willie Mays and company. And, and, and these are fabulous ballplayers. But Alou said we knew who, who the draw was, despite all the talent we had on those teams. And they only went to one World Series, but they had the best record in the league in the 60s. And Marichal had the most wins. That was a, it was a great time for baseball. They finished second every year. But it, yeah, Mays, Mays was a draw in Beloved, and he wasn't booed at Ebbets Field. He wasn't booed at Dodger Stadium. When he got called into the military in late May of 1952 for the Korean War, everyone knew it, so his last out late in the game at Ebbets Field, he walked off to a standing ovation. <laughs> and no giant does that, except for Mays.
1: John, what's it like uh, as a baseball man just getting to spend time with Willie Mays?
0: That's a great question. Uh, Willie came back to the organization in 1986, and I covered, started covering the Giants in 1988. I mostly, he was always in the clubhouse. Unlike a lot of Hall of Famers, you know, he's got a lifetime contract signed in 1993 by Peter McGowan. But even before that, he was a constant in the clubhouse, unless he went away for business. And even now, throughout this past month in March and spring training, he was in the home clubhouse before every home game, every day. And that's just his thing. I mean, he's, he's bummed about this virus because he's sheltering, and he's 89. He'd love to be at the park. But I got to know Willie, and he trusted me. And uh, what a wonderful thing to say, by the way. And uh, I, we spoke, what, 15 years ago about a possible book project, and he said, I would like to see this in classrooms. And so from there, we kind of took an inspirationally themed course And we did the math and spent more than 100 hours together for this project. And I interviewed more than 200 people for this project. Wow. And that's a lot of interviews. You're right. And you know what else? Every single time, you know, in in my day job at the San Francisco Chronicle, if I leave 10 messages, I hope to bat 500, (laughs) hopefully five of them will read. Well, if you drop Willie's name and it's for a book, I'm hitting about (laughs) a thousand. Everybody I mean, I, I interviewed President Clinton, President Bush. There's a whole chapter on Obama, uh, Hank Aaron, all these legends, uh, 30-plus Hall of Famers, um, Negro League teammates. I went back to Birmingham and spent a week to check out his roots and speak with his childhood buddies and old teammates, and that was wonderful. So the whole experience, Jeremy, was was, uh, unbelievable and just allowed me to tell history maybe that hasn't been told, because this book, unlike maybe other May's books, has nothing from old newspapers and old magazines and other books, no quotes. In other words, if if there was a quote ever said about Willie, it was off limits to this book. It's all new, exclusive, uh, fresh information. And same with the photographs, almost 100 photographs, and uh, most most of them have never been seen. Even the biggest Willie Mays fan won't recognize 90% of them.
1: We're speaking with John Shea about his new book with Willie Mays, 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the say hey kid and and as as we've been talking about willie mays is about much more than the numbers and the analytics uh which was a term that didn't exist obviously when he (laughs) was playing at least applied to sports and baseball but i think i was only in candlestick park once um yeah i think it was i was Doing something about Greg Maddox. They happened to be there. And, and it was literally one of those days where you couldn't believe they played baseball at that place. <laughs> it was so windy. The conditions were so almost indescribably ridiculous. Um well, What do we think the numbers might look like? Not only if it wasn't Candlestick Park, but the Polo Grounds was no joyride for right-handed hitters.
0: You're right. He goes from the polo grounds, which nobody could hit a home run to center field, 483 to dead center, and a couple of years at the SEAL Stadium. And then Candlestick Park, the worst place in the world to build a ballpark. And right on the San Francisco <laughs> Bay, work. always windy. And here's Mays coming out. And By the first, by the way, the first year, the, the fences were way the heck out there. They had to move them in just to conform with the rest of the league. And during BP, Mays would crush the ball, and the wind would knock it down. He crushed the ball. The wind would knock it down. He said if you hit a fly ball the left, there's zero chance it would go out. It had to be a line drive. But he didn't complain about it. He adjusted and learned to go to all field. And there was a jet stream out in right center. If you get it up in the air, oftentimes it would go out. But I look back, and he actually hit more home runs at home than on the road during his candlestick years. A lot of people say, oh, he would have hit a lot more home runs But he adjusted and made it benefit him. A lot of people complained about the stick. Interesting. But he just adapted to it. I think the bigger question is, what would have happened if he didn't go in the military? And again, he didn't complain about it. He did his service. He did his time. But that's two years missed in his early 20s. He came out of the military, hit 92 home runs his first two seasons in 54 and 55. So conservatively, if you say, well, in those two seasons, he might have hit 60. Well, he finished with 660. He had 60. And that's six more than Babe Ruth, 714. So, again, he never complains about it. I asked him many times, and he said, John, what's wrong with 660? And I said, yeah, you're right.
1: Does, does you know, in, in New York anyway, you know, people still remember the 73 World Series when um, he was no longer himself, could no longer do the things he had once done. And it's kind of one of these, like, standard um stories now. When you talk about an athlete hanging on too long, you think of Willie Mays. But, but is that World Series really representative of who he was by 1973? And, and does it really um, influence the way people think of him as a player later in his career?
0: You're right. People will look at that and use the example, don't be Willie Mays, don't play too long, get out of the game before it's too late. And all that stuff. And I, I said, okay, let me look into that. So I looked into that World Series, talked to a bunch of people on both sides of the ball, Reggie Jackson, Raleigh Fingers, uh, v- you know, Vida, uh, all the folks, Fossey, and all the Mets teammates as well. And I came away from that a little different vibe. Now, the pictures we remember are Willie losing the ball in the sun and Willie on his knees at the plate arguing with Augie Donatelli. Well, the reason he was at the plate arguing, it wasn't because he dropped the ball or struck out. He was arguing for a teammate on a close play at the plate that went the A's way and the Mets said it should have, you know, because he was on deck and he was the first one to the scene arguing. But the ball in the sun, he's, yeah, he's 43, and Reggie Jackson was the center fielder on the A's that night, that day in Oakland. There was actually he was playing
1: center Reggie.
0: Reggie Jackson Listen center, yeah. Wow. But he said the sun was absolutely brutal that day, that nobody could have caught it. And I went back and looked at the entire game, and it seemed every pop up and every slide ball was an adventure because the sun was just ridiculous. It was in the it was it was it was in the shadows, uh, and, and some of it was in the sun. And anyway, there are no excuses. Willie never made any excuse. But I'm looking back, and I say, well, talking to people, it's like a different. It it it, it it's kind of different when I look back and and do the research on this and talk to people at the time. But it's kind of the stereotype. You say, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. Well, Willie came back thinking, well, I'll just finish the 72 season. Remember in 71, he was a three-hitter on a Giants team that won the division. At age 40, he hit 18 home runs. He stole 23 out of 26 bases. He led the league in walks and on base percentage. And the following May, Horace Stonum, uh, uh trades him to the Mets because he couldn't afford the $165,000 contract that Willie was making. So Joan, Joan Payson, who had partial ownership of the New York Giants and now full ownership of the New York Mets, wanted Willie back. So they agreed, you know, finish out the 72 season. Well, she kind of talked him into one more season. And that was Willie's worst because he was on the DL for the first time in his career. It, it was the knee, it was the shoulder, it was the the ribs. And he hardly played at all in September and then Yogi Berra puts him in to start game one of the World Series because Rusty Staub had a bad shoulder. He got a hit, the Mets... Lost the game, but anyway, game two is whatever everyone looks at, and nobody remembers though that he got the game-winning hit, and the Mets won in twelve innings. So uh, looking a little deeper, you see a little different story. That's
1: usually what happens. It's uh, it's great stuff. It's been great talking to you, John John Shea, the co-author of the new book with Willie Mays, Twenty Four Life Stories and Lessons from the Icon, the Legend, the Say Hey Kid. John, thank you so much for sharing your stories.
0: Jeremy, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it.
1: I'm Jeremy Schaap, and you can listen to new editions of The Sporting Life every Saturday and Sunday morning on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, beginning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time.